0: All right. Well, we are on session nine. If you haven't been with us, we've been going through um, a series called The Fundamentals of the Family. Uh, we have all of the past lessons back there with the blanks filled in if you need to grab one. We're on session nine this week, and we're actually near the very end. We're going to, Lord willing, finish this series up next week. Uh, and uh, But this is, we're going to be talking about the fundamentals of financial faithfulness. So... Uh, Fundamentals of Financial Faithfulness. If you didn't get notes, does anybody need notes that doesn't have them? Okay. And then there's pens back there, too, if you need them. So this one, uh, this is this was a good study. It was, it was hard in one sense because of all the kids' camp stuff going on and all that. I felt like I was squeezing it into little spots. <laughs> um, the other part about it is uh, when it comes to just financial stuff, I feel like a novice, you know, this is, I started reading a lot of different things this week and doing a lot of different studies, biblical studies of, you know, God's view of money, what does the Bible say about money and all that, but then it started leading me into budgeting principles and things like that, where I really quickly started feeling like I'm in over my head, Uh, and, uh, but I I did stumble upon a lot of really good resources, I put some of those at the back of your notes, and um, and then, but it did help me kind of shape what we're doing here. Really what this is going to be about is biblically, uh, what, what should our viewpoint be on riches, wealth, things like that in this world? Uh, what does the Lord say about acquiring or gaining wealth? Um, what does wealth or money um, reveal about our, our spiritual condition? Uh, and then what are some of the, the, the pitfalls um, you know, with the, the love of money being the, the root of evil? Uh, and the things that we can easily fall into. So I'm, I'm looking at it more from biblical principles. But I want to point you to some resources. If you're like, I want to get out of debt, or I really need to be budgeting better, or I need to be planning, you know, for retirement or the future or whatever, uh, to some good resources that are very helpful, from a, especially from a, a Christian viewpoint um, that would, would agree with the principles we're talking about today uh, and help you with that. But that's not so much what this class will be about. This is more about uh, what does the Bible say about money, Uh, We know that um, money is a pressure point within the family. Um, There's many divorces over financial issues. There's many conflicts over financial stuff within families. Um, And uh, I know that many of us have probably felt those pressures at times. You lose your job or, you know, some unexpected uh, hardship comes along and you don't have the money to cover it. And you all of a sudden, that's, you know, we talked about that with biblical decision-making last week. You know, when the pressure's on, that's when we tend to jump to, you know, quickly to a, a decision without thinking through it biblically, without getting counsel, without going to the word. Or the pressure causes us to compromise convictions, and we start, you know, being like, well, you know, I didn't want my wife to work, but she's got to work in order for us to get through this sort of thing, or, you know what I mean? So it's like those, those pressures can cause us uh, to, to, uh, to make compromises, uh, to think irrationally, um, or they can pressure us to dive into the word and go, what does the Lord say? What is my view of, of um, both material wealth and, and, and uh, money uh, being my, my source of sustenance? Actually, we just talked about that with a rich young ruler, and I'm going to bring him up in this lesson. Yeah, you know, Your money re- will reveal where your, your heart is. It doesn't mean that money itself is evil. Money is amoral. It's not a moral thing, but it definitely reveals what we believe Uh, and it's a it's a it's a good pressure point or it's a good indicator a litmus test to see you know where both our allegiance lies and what our theology is so that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about today so look at your notes real quick and uh, not real quick you're gonna be looking at your notes for a long time (laughs) and uh, I'm going to try to to move through this and finish this one without doing a two-parter here financial unfaithfulness brings distraction division and disaster into the family. And I think that's the biggest thing. When we are unfaithful with what the Lord gives us, or we have a wrong view of what the Lord gives us, uh, that it can it can bring all kinds of disaster into our families. One pastor states, and I forgot where I read this, so I just wrote one pastor states, financial problems are a major cause of divorce and 80% of couples uh, who are divorced before the age of 30. Before they can even start to get a life together, it's torn apart by financial problems. Like I said, I imagine many if not all of us have walked through that in our families. You've felt those pressures um, and you understand the potential of the danger of, of uh, what uh, financial issues can do in a marriage or in a family. Many couples struggle to experience relational oneness in marriage because of unfaithfulness with money. Selfishness, impulsiveness, stubbornness, laziness, and a lack of self-control will always create problems in the area of wealth. Now, Again, you can take the word wealth out of there and put almost anything in there and add all of those sins and those will always cause problems. But again, it's the wealth and material possessions that the Lord can often use to draw out those sinful either characteristics or ways of thinking or ways of acting or making decisions. One of the ways to avoid conflict in this area is to thoroughly understand, discuss, and apply biblical principles about money and material possessions. The way we view and use money demonstrates our morality. I think that is a key point. It's, it's just something that demonstrates what is actually in us, what we actually believe and think, uh, and what we're actually made of. Um, and it's a tool that the Lord can use to change us. In, in for good, uh, for, especially as a believer. Money itself is not moral, it is not evil, and it is not corrupt. However, money is a very effective instrument used by the Lord to demonstrate the evil corruption of the heart. The heart is the problem, and money helps measure it out. And so, again, like I said, that's going to kind of be a, a foundational principle underneath a lot of this uh, as we strive to look at what does the Bible say about finances and about wealth um, Uh, as we as we study this everything this is a quote from john MacArthur. this actually came i would listen to a sermon series of his called the biblical view of money Uh, everything we possess is given to us from god and acts as a barometer on our moral life our spiritual life Uh, money is neutral but it doesn't stay that way for very long because what you do with it becomes a manifestation of your spiritual commitment or lack thereof so like i said I think this is a very important lesson when it comes to the fundamentals of the family. I think this is a very important lesson when it comes to both shepherding our children, our marriages, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in the end, this is just one more thing of, like that, that related to all the things we've been talking about. Biblical decision-making, conflict resolution, communication, roles of husband and wife. All of those things come to play in the area of finances um, but like I said, this is a, a pressure point, and it's something that, that the Lord uses uh, in our in our uh, in our families to cause us to trust Him, to cling to Him, uh, to retrain our minds about how we think about Him, and then strive to submit to Him and to to lead our families in a way that will glorify Him. So, number one, we're going to look at the fundamental facts about finances. The fundamental facts about finances. Your blink there is facts, facts. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, so uh, these are basically biblical principles. Like I said, that we have to start here. It's kind of like, you know when we talk about the presuppositions of a lot of these things, conflict resolution, stuff like that. You got to start here because if you have a wrong idea or if you have a wrong view of wealth, then you're going to have uh, you're going to make wrong decisions. You're going to have wrong pathways that come out of that. Again, it's not wealth is not you know even with a rich young ruler. I mean, we're going to talk about another very rich person. Uh, that just had a very different response than the rich young ruler. It wasn't the fact that he was rich. It was the fact that he, like Shane said, it was a great analogy. You know, he's hanging on the cliff with one arm, hanging on to his wealth with the other. And rather than letting go of the wealth, he let go of the cliff. And again, it's, it's not so much that wealth itself is evil. It's what do you do with what the Lord has given you? So letter A, the first thing we have to remember and you have to understand is that all riches of creation belong to God. Everything belongs to him. Think about that. If money itself was evil, if gold was evil, if silver was evil, then God wove through this earth evil (laughs) everywhere. It's not the thing itself that is evil. God creates wealth and God distributes wealth. Again, to have an abundance of wealth isn't in and of itself evil, it may be the Lord's providence to distribute wealth to you and then not to this person, and to this person, but not to this person. So you have to understand that he is the creator of wealth and he is the distributor of wealth. Our understanding of wealth gives us insight into our understanding of God. Psalm 24, 1 through 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded upon the seas, established upon the rivers. So it all belongs to him. And Haggai 2, in a rebuke to the Israelites, he says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine. I mean, think about that. You know, when they left Egypt, God told them, just ask the Egyptians for for their wealth and they'll give it to you. And they did. I mean, the Lord supplied all of that wealth to Israel to build the tabernacle, to do all the things that he had prescribed for them to do. And then, so that wealth was distributed, is taken from the Egyptians, given to God's people. But then they immediately turned around, makes a golden calf, they immediately turn around and and uh, start serving idols. So again, it's not the fact that they were given the wealth that is bad. It's what did they do with the wealth that God had given them. And this is later on in Haggai. He's basically saying, you know, I blessed you. That's mine. I gave it to you purposefully. But then you took it for yourself, and you began to do things with the wealth that I gave you, which were uh, 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 disobedience to me and, and, um, and and an affront to me. Letter B, everything you possess is given to you by God. So we kind of just said that it all belongs to him. It's his to begin with. And then he is the one that distributes. He is the one that gives. So if you have anything, then it is given to you by the Lord. Again, it's not about the fact that we're not taking vows of poverty and being like, I don't want any material wealth because that's evil. It's going, okay, if the Lord has given me this, this doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. And I need to be thankful that God, in His infinite wisdom, decided to give this to me. Whether it's a house, whether it's a wife, whether it's a car, whether it's whatever it is, you're just blessed by the Lord. Whatever He gives you, um, and we're going to see that too. It's not just financial things and, and 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 material wealth that are valuable to us or to the Lord. He gives us everything. God is a generous and giving Father. He gives to us out of His abundance, and He wants us to be thankful. And to enjoy what he has given us. He, his desire is for us to use what we have been given to do what he desires. That's the, the, the key. You want to know what does the Lord desire and how can I take what he's given me to do exactly what he would want me to do with what he's gifted me. We should never spend what he gives us on anything that would be displeasing to him. And, and, uh, what, uh, and then the question is, what are you doing with what you have been given Again, First Chronicles 29, 13 through 16, uh, it says, Now therefore the Lord, or, I'm sorry, our God, we thank you, we praise your glorious name. Uh, but, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generous as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were all our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope, O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand, and all is yours, so even in the building of the temple and all that the again it wasn 't the fact that they, I mean they have a temple built out of uh, uh wood and gold and I mean everything is it, it was a very um, uh, elaborate and, and uh, lavish temple that the Lord told the Israelites to build, and it wasn't sinful. It was given to them, and they need to be thankful. Everything they're given is given to them by God, and they're being thankful for what their Lord has given and using that in the way that he has prescribed. We want to do the same thing. We're not building temples, uh, but we're striving to use what he's given for to, to glorify him in our families, to glorify him in our Uh, in our uh, hobbies, in what our decisions that we're making. uh, And the the same principle applies. Letter C, God is the one who gives you the ability to make money. So again, like Shane was saying in there, it's easy when you attain wealth or if you've been blessed by wealth to think, well, you know, I either know more than someone else or I'm, I'm able to do more than someone else. And then we begin to stand... We begin to, to build ourselves up. We look at someone that doesn't have what we have materially, and we think that there's something about us intrinsically that either deserves this or has earned this on our own. Rather than realizing that any ability you have, mental ability, physical ability, uh, even the fact that you're alive, all of those things are in his hands. And like Shane also just said, wealth can be taken in a moment. Uh, it can be taken uh, in, in, in a trial. It can be taken by death instantly it's gone you can't hang on to it Um, and so you have to understand that your ability you you may be a hard worker you may have 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 taken a path that and then the lord blessed you with great wealth because of whatever it is you, you invented something because you could think through things in a certain way but even those things are a gift given to you by him and that's a that's a grace gift many people can be just as smart and have way less financial prosperity Many people can work just as hard and have way less money. Um, And so, again, it's not what you make that proves what you are. It's what you do with what you're given that proves what you are. So the Lord is the one that gives us the ability to make money. Letter D, you are a steward of all that God gives you. This is a major point. So it all belongs to him. He gives to whoever he desires exactly what he wants to give to them. Uh, the ability to gain it from our perspective is still a gift given to us by him. What he desires is that we take what he's given us and we are good stewards. We want to be good stewards of what the Lord has entrusted to us. God distributes wealth. Then wealth becomes a stewardship. Again, if you understand where it comes from, who it belongs to, and how you get it, then you realize, "I I need to be faithful with what I've been given. Does that make sense? So you're not trying to get rid of it, thinking like, oh, no, 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 this is going to lead to evil. No, you want to be faithful. It's, it's, that's always what we're striving to do. What we do with what we have been given reveals our allegiance. It reveals our desires. It reveals our condition, the condition of our heart. We're accountable to God for what he gives. And uh, how we steward, both here in this temporary, uh, temporal wor- world, Um, uh, the wealth that he gives us here, it has eternal implications. Again, I mean, I I love it. I feel like every week I'm like, what Shane just said, I'm just going to jump off of that and tell you a little bit more. But like, I mean, he just talked about all of that. There are eternal things attached to uh, temporal things that we're, we're blessed with. And again, we know that when it comes to holiness. I mean, we're all fighting sin, fighting for holiness, striving to glorify him. And we understand that this is not our life, that our treasure is not here. But a lot of times we don't look at the treasure we do have here and understand even that, even that has eternal implications and, and uh, potential, if you want to say it that way. And we'll talk about that more very soon. First Corinthians 4: two, uh, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. and then in Luke 19, actually it's, it's a parable that Jesus gives about being good stewards of what you've been given. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, but basically he's talking about a nobleman went to a distant country, gave his slaves different amounts of money, uh, and then basically says, do, do my business with this, and when I come back, I want to receive it back." You know and it's the same principle that applies to us. God has put us here. He's given us certain resources, certain talents, certain things, and he wants us to be faithful with what he gives us so that we give back to him what belongs to him with the work that he's done through it in abundance. Does that make sense? So we take what he's given to us and we, and we use it for, for him and for his kingdom. Letter E, be thankful and content for whatever God has allotted you. Again, uh, Shane said it in James one. It uh, talks about the brother of humble circumstances rejoicing in the fact that they're they're poor, and the brother who has much to rejoice when they lose things. And again, you go like, now why would we rejoice in our poverty and rejoice in our loss? Because first thing, it reminds you that this stuff is temporary. It's fleeting. It's it's like a vapor. Or it's like the grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow. Secondly. It, it those, those positions force you to trust the Lord. When someone who is trusting in their riches and the riches are yanked from them, they lose it all, then immediately, if that person knows the Lord, well, then it forces them to cling to Him, probably in a way they didn't have to before because, again, I mean, by, by God's blessing, when we are prosperous, it's easy to... Uh, to to buy our way out of things or when hardships come along we can you know you it's like you got mold in your house but if you got money just go buy another house but somebody that doesn't have money they got to walk through that trial in a whole different way right or you know you got you got cancer and you got great insurance and you got and you can go to get the top doctors and all that sort of stuff but a person that doesn't have as good insurance or doesn't have as good money they got to walk through that trial in a different way but when that money is taken from you then you start to realize, I've always been dependent upon the Lord to begin with. That's why you're rejoicing in your, in your loss. And then the person of humble circumstance, again, a poor person has to cling to Christ in a way that a rich person doesn't have to on a daily basis. It doesn't mean that, that they can't. It's just saying it puts you in a good position. Again, you can have no money and still love money and, and, and uh, forsake the Lord, even though you're poverty-stricken. You can have a, an abundance of wealth and be completely dependent upon him and be generous and thankful and giving and striving to use your money as a good steward to the Lord. Uh, so again, it's not, it's not what it, we look like on the outside that proves what we are. It's, you know, it's what's within you. And we get that example all the time. I used to tell my students here at the school, you know, you can have two kids sitting there, both perfectly quiet, both perfectly taking notes. Both are just exemplary students on the outside. One is doing it because they want to prove to me that they're great. They want their, their fellow students to see that they're smarter or that they're a better student, whatever. And the other one is doing it because their mom and dad told them and they want to obey their mom and dad and love them. Uh, they know that the Lord wants them to honor and respect me or, you know what I mean? So one's doing it for the glory of the Lord. The other's doing it for the glory of self. Finance is the same thing. What we have with what we, or what we do with what we've been given is either going to glorify us, exalt us, look at how much I have, or even in poverty we can do that. You can be proud that you have nothing, you know? Um, So again, it's not about what you have, it's about what you do with what you have, and if you're being thankful and content with what the Lord gives you. All right, letter F on the other side. Our view of money, I'm sorry, our view and use of money reveals our spiritual condition. Again, I think this is really, really key, and this is important. Oh, your blank is spiritual condition. Our view and our use of money reveals our spiritual condition. What you do with your money is not your business. That is such a good principle to get just pound in your head. What you do with your money is not your business. It's the Lord's. It belongs to him. It was entrusted to you what you do with your money is his business and he sees all things again i don't remember where i either read it or heard it but uh, i was reading something it was talking about jesus you know the the widow that brings the widow brings in her last two coins and gives it and jesus uses as an example first thing to show that the pharisees are robbing people and they shouldn't be doing that secondly to praise her in her giving all that she had you know what i mean but one of the the insights that i thought was insightful that this pastor said was uh, Jesus was just sitting there watching her. If you, if you go back to the very beginning of the story, Jesus is sitting and watching everyone that's giving. And he said, this is what God is always doing. God is always watching what are you doing on a daily basis with what you've been given. Not just to see how much you're giving to the church and why you're giving to the church and how you're giving, but, but to see what you're doing with what he's given you. That's just a good principle just to keep in mind that, that we are accountable. That there is someone giving us oversight, um, that we don't have privacy with what we've been given. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Him. And so, if you start thinking about that, it really helps you to rethink, you know, your your purchases. It helps you to rethink uh, your decisions that you're making and why. Uh, it's it's a wonderful thing. He sees how we spend our money, and He wants us to see how we spend our money. Uh, exposes our character and condition, so again, I think this is really the key point. What the Lord wants you to see is this the money you have is a litmus test. The money you have is is something that proves what you are. I threw in some biblical examples here. There was a bunch more that I wanted to, but it just just gets longer and longer but th- I think these are these are both good and bad examples Again, we got the rich young ruler, the second one there we just uh, heard a sermon on that, and basically uh, this young man turns away eternal life because of of riches. Um, and, uh, and, and we need to remember that riches can be a roadblock to rebirth, all right? So that, that's a big deal. Um, and so, But Zacchaeus, right before that, is the exact opposite example. Zacchaeus was also very rich. Zacchaeus had a lot of money. Um, and Zacchaeus, you know, the Lord visited him, um, and, uh, and, and here's the result. It says Zacchaeus stopped, and he said to the Lord, Lord, uh, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today's salvation has come to his home. I never really thought about that. Zacchaeus is like the opposite story of the rich young ruler. You know what I mean? You got two rich people. Both, are, both face Christ. The rich young ruler walks away and, and leaves the one that can give him eternal life. And Zacchaeus, like you can see in how he handled his money post-meeting with Christ that this was a transformed man that was born again. And his use of his money after that proved his, his belief and his faith in Christ. So it's, a, it's a, a neat way to look at it. John the Baptist, this is a, a really uh, neat thing. And I never thought about it until I started looking at money stuff in the Bible. But John the Baptist in Luke, when all these different people are coming to John the Baptist saying, how can we basically follow the Lord? John the Baptist gives answers and almost everything he says is related to money. Uh, so he, it says the crowds were questioning him, saying, what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, man who has two tunics, share with him who has none. So this has to do with the wealth that you have and sharing. You're, you're being generous and you're sharing the wealth that the Lord has blessed you with. And same thing with food. Uh, the tax collectors came to him to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? He said, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. So again, even with tax collectors, what you do with the money that is that is being entrusted to you or this job that you have, what you do there proves whether or not you're going to be greedy and self-centered and and striving to build up yourself here or you're going to trust the Lord. Some soldiers were questioning him and said, and what about us? What shall we do? He said, then do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Two things there had to do with money. All of these things, you, you want to see what true faith looks like. You want to see what submission to God and obedience to him and the outworking of faith looks like. It has a lot to do with money. It doesn't mean everything is money, but what we do with our money proves what we believe, and it proves what's happening in our hearts. So if you're born again, if you trust the Lord more than you're trusting in your riches, then you'll be generous. You'll be hospitable. You'll take what he's given to you, and you'll bless others with it. You won't, you won't cheat and steal and be greedy and acquire things for yourself in a way that doesn't glorify him. Does that make sense? Um, and so I thought that was a good one as well. The fruit of repentance was manifest in how these people viewed and used their wealth. True repentance and obedience and submission has a lot to do with how you handle your money. Again, it's not, that's not the only thing. It's just to say it is one of the things that the Lord uses both to, to reveal to us the faith that he's imparted in us and to refine the faith that he's imparted in us. Uh, one more, the Ephesian magicians in Acts 19. That's another really good one. Uh, they come to the Lord, and one of the first things they do is burn all of their uh, books of the occult, their, their, their magic books and stuff like that. And, and, and Paul didn't have to do this. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Luke didn't have to do this, but, uh, but he actually says how much they were worth. Again, there's a financial thing attached to this. It says they counted up the price of them, the ones that they burned. It was 50,000 pieces of silver. It's actually the word drachma. Drachma is a, basically a day's wage during that time. 50,000 days wages. You know, you take out Sundays or Saturdays, so six days a week, uh, and basically that's about 160 years worth of work. That's a, that, that was a lot of, of financial... They could have sold them. They could have sold those books and gotten the money from it, given it to the poor, whatever. I mean, but they burned them, uh, which showed that, that the use of the wealth that they had uh, in that instance showed where their faith and their allegiance was and what was happening in their hearts. So again... It's just neat. If you start looking at a lot of these stories biblically and you're like, how is money attached to this? You start seeing very, very often that those who trust Christ, believe in Christ, are examples of faith. Uh, they, they use their money very differently than, than many of us do. Um, and I, I listed some other examples at the bottom of people who either had the love of money or the love of Christ and, and how, they, how they viewed and used their wealth. All right. On the next page, letter G there are many things more valuable than material wealth. And again, I know you know this. I already said it earlier, you know, a spouse, so much more valuable than material wealth. There's many things that we understand are so much more valuable. But here's a few things. The fear of the Lord, much more valuable. You would much rather be a god fear and have the fear of the Lord driving your decisions than your, your financial stability driving your decisions. Um, uh, and and, and the, the judgments of the Lord, His word. Again, the fear of the Lord and the word of the Lord are so much more valuable uh, than, than any material possession. Um, Proverbs 15, the same thing. Uh, Proverbs 22, your reputation, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. It'd be better to be poor and to have a good reputation, uh, be a man of integrity, be a man of honesty, be a man that people know that you are a man or a woman of God, than to be rich and to be someone that you know is, is, is greedy or selfish or, or um, lacks good discernment. Proverbs 31, an excellent wife who can find for, uh, for her worth is far above jewels. And then Matthew 16, and then Jesus summed the whole thing up. Anything. What will a man profit uh, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Again, it's a, it's a financial analogy. Whatever riches you can think of, anything in this life, kingdoms and glory and honor, nothing is worth it. Nothing is worth trading things here for Christ. And again, I didn't go through it, but Judas is the 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 worst, greatest example of that, right? Uh, literally selling Christ for the wages of a what a slave is worth. Letter H, covetousness, discontentment, and worry about material things or sins. Again, sometimes these things we just, you know, we're like, well, I struggle with that, or yeah, I'm a worrier, you know, and we, we kind of paint it as if, You don't understand that's an affront to God. You know, when we worry, what we're basically saying is, I just don't trust you. I don't trust you in this situation. I don't trust you with my health. I don't trust you with my finances. I don't think you're as generous as you should be. I would do a better job if I was on your seat giving to me what is required in this situation. That's what we're saying. That's what worry is. Worry, really, if you just keep pulling back all the layers and you get down to the heart of it, it's you're not doing a good job. I could do this much better than you. You're causing distress in my life put me on the throne so I can fix this. Does that make sense? It's the same thing with anger. Uh, It's the same thing with uh, laziness. I mean, you can attach any sin. If you just keep pulling it back, you have a problem with God. And so again, I I get it. We struggle. All of us fight through contentment. We, We all have to fight through issues of worry. So I'm not saying, you know, like you're the epitome of evil. I can't believe you struggle with this. We all struggle with this, but we make sure you don't sugarcoat it to make it be like, oh yeah, worry is my sin struggle. You know, Lust is just something I fight through hard. You know? like, I mean, it's like these are, these are uh, um, abominations to the Lord, and he uses them in our life to refine us and change us and make us into his image. But we hate them. We're fighting against these things, and we're striving for contentment, thankfulness, joy, love, those things. So again, remember, uh, when the material things can reveal the the places in our life where we just don't trust the Lord. Uh, John MacArthur says in in, uh, in his sermon series again, the sin when it comes to wealth is not in enjoying it. The sin is in overindulgence. The sin is in flaunting your wealth. The sin is in self centered, self indulgent, begrudging, compassionless consumption. That's the sin. The wealth isn't the sin. We're the ones producing the sin. The wealth just just gives us, a, like I said, a platform to either glorify him or to sin. It's the attitude of the heart that is the sin. Uh, if you enjoy the riches of what God has provided you and you give him thanks, and that thanks turns into obedience, and you're willing to be generous with others, then you've made the righteous use of the material world. Again, think about that. What you have is potentially something that can glorify Him. That it can exalt His name can be a testimony of the gospel of Christ, and can have eternal implications for the way that the Lord blesses you forever. That's a great thing. You should want wealth for those ends. Does that make sense? And you should use wealth for those ends. Matthew six twenty four and twenty five. Uh, and uh, Shane just talked about this too, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. So again, we're not worried because we serve God. We're not worried because he's our master. We're not worried because we're his slaves. We're not slaves to wealth. If you're a slave to wealth, then worry will be part of your path because that's what that master requires. But if you're a slave to God, then contentment, thankfulness, joy, and trust are the path that you're on. And money will just weave into that. Does that make sense? Letter I, trusting God is key to handling money issues. Trusting God is key to handling money issues. Again, I feel like we're a lot of this stuff is, is the same principle, stay at different ways. But understanding that is, is core because, again, when uh, when we have money issues, that's the first thing that he's kind of pressing on with the pressure of financial need or or loss is Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust that I ordained this circumstance? Do you trust that I knew this was coming and I put you there and I only gave you this much so that it would cause you to cling to me in this situation? Do you trust that I put you in a place now that you have to ask for help? You know, and you have to, or you have to work harder, or whatever it may be. Again, trusting God is the key to handling money issues. in trust, uh, or I'm sorry, he says in 1 Timothy 6, this is, this is uh, key verses, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope. There it is. Fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Again, it doesn't say don't be rich in this world. It just says don't fix your hope on them. Uh, he says, but on God, that's what our hope is fixed on, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Look at that. That goes against the whole monastic, like, well, I can't enjoy things in this world. This is an evil, sinful world. No, God gave you things to enjoy. Make sure your enjoyment isn't sinful. Does that make sense? Use those things and enjoy the things the Lord has given you because he blessed you with them. He's the giver of all things. And then use those things for his glory. Use those things to bless others. Use those things to to cause others to see the generosity of God and the love of Christ that is coming from you in the way that you use what he's given you. Does that make sense? And so that's the, the biggest key in all of this stuff. Letter J, the last one. Giving to the Lord and to the needy is a privilege, an investment, and a responsibility. I remember the first time that this began to click. I feel like it's still clicking. (laughs) I am in process of grasping the wonder of this concept. But when you start to see that the money he gave you isn't just to get the next meal and to pay your mortgage and to try to get through life and to make it out there and make sure you pay for weddings and college or whatever, and you start going, oh man, I can take this and I can use what he's given me material stuff, and I can use it in a way that has eternal effects. That changes the way that you see your house. It changes the way you look at your car. It changes the way that you look at your bank account. It doesn't mean that you'll necessarily then be blessed with abundance, but you'll start to see the abundance where you used to see poverty. You'll start to see the opportunities where you you used to see restrictions. Uh, It changes just the way you look at everything. What you've been given is, is, is a, a wonderful responsibility. It's a privilege. It's an investment to give to the Lord and to give to others in need. And that is, is a whole, that's, a, that's a, a game changer in the way that you look at your money. There is temporal and eternal rewards for those who are generous and give with liberality. Again, it's not only eternal rewards. You begin to be generous in this life, you will see the blessings of that as well. You begin to be hospitable in this life. You'll see the blessings of that. You begin to serve others in this life and not yourself. You'll see the blessings of that. You see the blessings here, but the eternal blessings that we can't perceive yet are, are going to be beyond what we were blessed with here. And I, and, I, and I was going to say, I guarantee you, I don't know what we're going to think when we actually are sitting there in heaven, if we'll even remember this conversation. But if we could, I bet you anything, we would get there and go, why did I not give more? Why was I not more generous? Why didn't I trust him? Why didn't I take all that stuff and give it all for his glory and honor? You know what I mean? That's what we're going to be thinking. I don't really think we're going to be thinking. But you know what I'm saying? We're not going to get up there and be like, man, I wish. I just wish I'd had a thousand more dollars when I died. You know, that's not how we're going to be thinking. We're going to be thinking, why did I hoard so much? And why didn't I give it to others? And why wasn't I more generous? And why didn't I use it for his glory? You know? Um, so, again, so start living like that now. Uh, if we are faithful with what the Lord has given us, he is faithful to bless us in this life and eternal life. And I put this quote by Jim Elliott because I, I heard this years ago, and I just thought it was a great quote. Uh, I don't know where it came from. It's just If you just go Google Jim Elliott quotes, it's always the first one that pops up. I don't even know if he said it, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> but it says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the principle. That's what we're talking about here. You are never, ever the fool to give away something you can't hold on to, to gain something that will be eternally yours. Does that make sense? And so, again, just apply that to what the Lord has given you with wealth in this life. And that's a, a wonderful thing. Again, these are just different verses on being generous. Actually, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are key uh, let's read those because those are key when it comes to, to financial stuff. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 here. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a time of um, ordeal, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. So the Macedonian churches are in deep poverty and deep affliction it says they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality for i testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability so beyond what they they could even handle they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints i mean there we could talk about that for four weeks there is gold there you got someone that is in the middle of suffering and poverty begging to give more liberal lib, uh, with more More liberally, more more uh, stuff (laughs) Uh, above their abilities because they want to be part of the blessing of the saints. I mean, that is, I I want that. You know, that is not where I'm at, but I would love to be there. Where you're just like, how can I give more? How can I give more? I want to give to the Lord. I want to bless. Uh, There's a need in Corinth. Let's bless them. And, And Paul's like, you need more than they need, and they're like, we want to take what we got and give to them. And so, basically, uh, the, the Macedonian churches were very, uh, very generous, uh, giving beyond even um, you know what they, they were able because they wanted to be they wanted the uh, the favor of participation in the support of the saints. He goes on in Second Corinthians nine to say, "Now this I say: uh, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly." Not under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Look at that. God gives you everything you need. You be generous. If you reap sparingly, I mean, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Again, this is not prosperity gospel. We're saying this is the generosity of our Lord. You give away what he's given to you, he'll take care of you. You bless others with what he's blessed you with, he will bless you. And again, we're not saying you're going to line your pockets of money. We're saying just keep giving it away. Keep loving others. Keep giving to the Lord. Use what he's given to you for his glory. That being said, the next part is very good. In the sense of uh, helping us understand the whole, how how to, oh, the, the blank is how to biblically acquire money. How to biblically acquire money. So again, it's not just sit back, see what the Lord blesses you with, and then use it for his glory. I mean, our lot in life is to work. That's a, something the Lord has given to us. And so that's going to, your working is going to benefit you with money. And, and uh, we want to see how, how do we acquire money biblically? And then we've already seen what, how to look at it and what to do with it. But we want to talk here about how to acquire money. There's two main things, and I got a lot of this from, uh, uh, from there's another book I didn't put in here. Uh, and I didn't write it. I might have written in the back. John MacArthur wrote a book called Whose Money Is It Anyway? Yeah, it's the very last one. And some of these principles I got from there, and it was very good. Um, Letter A, gifts. Sometimes you just receive gifts. Uh, You receive inheritance. You receive gifts. The Lord just blesses you. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. Someone else did, and God gives to you. The Bible talks about all the time. That the, uh, the, the, the unbelievers work and work and work and get money, and then God just takes that and gives it to those who love him. And, and we, you know, we see that. There was a, I remember one time sitting in the church offices, a dude just pulls up in a truck, gets out, comes in, writes a check for our building fund, didn't come to the church or anything. Turns out, like, it was, and I think I got the story right, uh, Lee Parker could tell you better. But I think it was his mother passed away, and when she passed away, she wanted some of her money to go to a good cause. He inherited the money, and, uh, and one of her neighbors came to our church and told her about our church building, and so she told, she put it, I guess, in her will and said, you have to give this money to the church. And so dude just shows up, writes a check, gives it to us for our church building. This was money that came from not our church members, not our wealth that we earned, and I mean, God just does stuff like that all the time. And you may have been recipients of something just like that. That someone else worked really, really hard, and then all of a sudden, here it's being given to you. A lot of times that happens in inheritance. Sometimes that happens in needs and in gifts. And you're just blessed, and you're like, I didn't even deserve this. And God just blesses you in a way, and you get a new car or whatever, you know. And so uh, sometimes it's gifts. But again, even those gifts were given to you by God. Use those things to glorify him. Investments is letter B. Wisely investing what the Lord has given you um, and letting your money make more money. Again, the principle was there in Matthew 25 when Jesus uh, gave the, the, the parable of the ones given money. He's like, the guy that went and buried the money didn't do with, with it. He wasn't faithful to what the Lord has given him. I mean, what Jesus says here is, I mean, or what the, the, the master says, but he's like, you should put my money in the bank. I mean, if you're going, we're gonna actively, faithfully use it, then at least put it in the bank where it makes interest. You know? And so, again... Uh, making interest or making wise investments is not uh, uh, necessarily greed. It could be wisdom. And it's, what are you doing with those investments? If you're taking money and it's making more money and you're using that money to bless others and to glorify God, that's a wonderful thing. Use wisdom. But, but if you're just doing it to make more money so that you feel secure or stable or you can get the things that you want, again, it's not the investment that was evil. It's, it's what's in your heart driving those things. Letter C, there's three primary ways to make money. Letter A is the no-brainer, work. God expects you to fully use the strengths and abilities that he has given you in hard and honest work. We were built to work. Most people in financial trouble are those are there because of laziness or because they do not want to work. Not everybody, but most. The reason they're in the place that they're at is, is because of laziness. Um, God has designed us to work, Genesis 1, 26, 27, even before sin, Adam and Eve were tasked with work by God. Um, And sin is what causes work to be toilsome. Yes, work is toilsome. Work is hard. uh, But that's only because we live in a sin-cursed world. Work itself was, we were designed to work. God built us to work. And work, we'll be working eternally on this earth with Christ. It just won't be toilsome and rigorous and painful like it is now. That's the sinful part. It, it will be glorious and wonderful and, and it will be worshipful. Um, so I imagine in the eternal state on this earth that work will feel like rest. Does that make sense? If you could say it that way. Uh, and it will feel like worship. Um, it doesn't negate the fact that we were created by God to work. We glorify the Lord when we work hard in fear and submission to Christ. Uh, Colossians 3 gives you really good, Colossians 3 and Ephesians uh, 6 are two of the best New Testament passages that give you, this is what a Christian work ethic looks like. But one of the things he says at the end of Colossians 3 in verse 24, he says, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. I mean, you might be working at the hospital, you may be a pilot, you may be digging a ditch, whatever. The the Lord put you in that job. It's him who you're serving in the work. Does that make sense? And that you want to work in a way that is glorifying to him and pleasing to him. You're working unto the Lord. There's just a bunch of verses about work. I'm not going to read them all. But, um, but yeah, everything from God uh, telling the Israelites how many days to work. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 are right there. Read those. Yeah, that you want to strive to be obedient to your earthly masters, which are your employers. Uh, the analogy, or that's how it would play out in our life. With fear and trembling, um, sincerity of heart, you're slaves to Christ, you're doing the will of God. Uh, You're not doing it for eye service. Again, so those are very good. Like, how does the Lord want me to glorify him in the process of work? And then through working like that, if you work, if you strive to work the way Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 tell you to work, not guaranteed, but most likely you will stand out in your company because most people do not work like that. And if you're working like that, and you have a boss that wants to make money. He's going to put you in a place to make him more money. And you will be blessed with more money. Again, that's not a guarantee. But many times, I've seen that in my own life, and I've heard many people say that. If you work hard like that unto the Lord, not as for eye service, you will be blessed financially in your occupation. But again... That's for his glory. He's the one that gave you the ability. You apply all those other principles to it and then take what he's given to you because of what he's required of you in work and then use that for his glory. Uh, letter D, saving. Uh, so uh, I don't have a lot of verses here, but this is a biblical principle. There's actually a lot in Proverbs about saving, uh, but, but you work hard and then you need to save what the Lord's given you. You want to always be um, uh, saving up uh, for your, I mean, again, I didn't write down the verse, but the Bible talks about uh, oh, it's, it's wisdom to, um, to save up for the, your children and your grandchildren. Um, you want to be saving for times coming down the road that you can't foresee and you can't foreshadow what the Lord is going to do. But again, you're, 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 uh, it's not, you're not saving so that you have um, your, your trust in, in what you have saved. You're saving out of a wisdom principle. Uh, knowing that that you don't know what tomorrow holds. But even in your savings, you're still trusting the Lord. Um, and many of us have saved very diligently and still face trials where the savings looks like this compared to the trial. And that's a perfect place to be. Letter E, planning. You need to plan how you spend your money. You need to plan how to make money, and you need to plan how to spend money. A lot of us work really hard on the front end planning how to make money, And then on the back end, we're just like spin, 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 spin with no thought, you know. And uh, we need to plan how we spend. And again, if you apply all those biblical principles, it's built in. I mean, if you're striving to glorify God with what he's given you, that takes constant planning and thinking and preparation and and looking at needs and assessing. It takes talking to people and understanding what the needs are. It takes looking at at, at what you have and what you can give to the church and others. So uh, some principles here. uh, Don't spend everything you earn. Again, that's always uh, the foolish man spends all that God gives him. The ants uh, prepare their food in summer. Again, this is the whole saving principle as well. Uh, account for everything you spend. Again, uh, anyone that is being wise with their money knows where their money is going. They they understand what they're spending and why they're spending it, and whether or not that's going to be glorifying to the Lord. Plan for the future. Uh, there's this verse. A good man leaves an inheritance. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Live within your income and do not incur debts, which may be impossible to pay. Um, and, uh, and then ponder every financial decision to make sure it is in keeping with God's principles. And then seek out wise counsel if you are not confident about your handling finances and accountability, if you struggle with greed or lack of self-control. This is where, like I said, as I started getting this study, this is where I felt like some of this got over my head. Uh, because I, I feel like my my grasp of some financial things is very, you know, uh, minimal or I'm, I'm a, a novice. But the last one is something that, that I learned early on and practiced my whole life. Is anytime you are making a, a decision, a financial decision, if you feel like you are a novice, just ask. You are surrounded with godly men and women. Some in the finance that just... Are, are great with money or some people that work in this world, uh, that that was what I was pointing to you at the very end uh, uh, on the, the last page, some of your resources. Uh, there's ministries that are focused around this. I've never listened to Dave Ramsey much, but I've heard people gain a lot of wisdom from him. Uh, my wife and I got out of a lot of debt uh, going through crown ministries uh, stuff, which is something that the church uh, was doing at the time. And uh, actually, I put some resources back there from them. Uh, just uh, one on creating a spending plan, another one on financial planning worksheet, and all the stuff you can get online. I just wanted a visible copy out there for you to see. But there's great resources out there. And then, look, you're in Faith Community Church. You've got men and women all around you that love the Lord, that are striving to live under these principles, have learned a lot, both through bad decisions and good decisions and through life lessons, and they can help you But, you know, a lot of times in our pride, we just don't want to, again, invite people into our bank account. It's like open up your life. Again, you don't have to tell everybody everything, but find someone that you can trust, that you know is wise, that you know makes good financial decisions, and just ask before you spend. Ask before you plan. Ask before you invest. So, again, if you don't feel like I'm really good at this, there's resources everywhere. Now I think that's just a principle to make sure that you put into play. All right. Very end, and uh, I'm going to run through this quick. Number three, the love of money. This is the root of evil. That's the blank, the root of evil. Again, it's not money that's evil. It's the love of it. It's making wealth your master. That's evil. The reason the love of money is the root of evil is because it's idolatry. The love of money is the opposite of the love of Christ. The love of money is the opposite of submission to the Lord. To love money means to hate God. Remember, you can't serve two masters. You love one and despise the other one. You serve one and you forsake the other one. I mean, that's, that's your choices. So love Christ and be blessed with what he gives you physically. The love of money is, the first blank is destructive. 1 Timothy 6 talks about this. Many people, because of the love of money, make foolish decisions. They fall into ruin and destruction. Uh, the next blank, the love of money defiles the name of God. Many people, because of of a desire for things in this earth, deny God. Again, Judas is the best example because of a little bit of of wealth to deny the Lord. The next blank, the money, the love of money uh, is, uh, sorry, the love of money denies God. Uh, You're trusting in gold instead of God, so defiles the name of God and then denies God. That would be more the Judas thing. Defiling the name of God is to proclaim His name and then you're serving money uh, rather than trusting in Him. The blank after that on the next page, the love of money is deceitful. Again, money always and wealth always tells you that if you just have this, you'll be taken care of. But it's deceitful. Uh, money does not take care of us. He who trusts his riches will fall. The righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Um, and, uh, and again, in Mark 4, uh, the Lord talks about the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. Those are the things that grow in and, and choke out the, the word that was that, that began to spring up quick, it looked good, but it was just the, the desire for, for wealth and the riches of the world that deceive. Um, the next blank, the love of money is arrogant. Again, Proverbs twenty eight eleven, the rich man is wise in his own eyes. Again, that's that's what Shane was talking about in there. All of a sudden we go from, you know, we didn't have much, now we have an abundance, and all of a sudden we start thinking, Well, there's a reason I have an abundance. I work harder, I'm way smarter. I mean, the Lord obviously is blessing me for who I am. And, and you become arrogant and proud rather than thankful uh, for what the Lord has given you. Um, it, it, uh, God warned the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, Be where you don't forget the Lord. I have blessed you with an abundance of wealth. Don't forget me. And they did. And so, again, uh, money can cause us to be arrogant. And then finally, the love of money is Divine robbery. Divine robbery. Malachi 3 is, is such a, a, a convicting uh, passage. But, but again, he's talking to the Israelites. He's talking about the, the wealth that they have. And he says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. Look, God's saying, you're not obeying. Yeah, you're breathing your tithes and your offerings, but you're not doing in obedience to what I've required of you. And he says, and you're robbing me. Uh, and he says, bring me everything and test me. God's like, just do what I say. I told you what to do. Just try me. Submit to what I said. Trust me instead of your riches and just see what I will do. He says, the Lord says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. That is so convicting because you start thinking, why do I give what I give? Am I giving what I give out of fear or am I giving what I give out of a love and a trust of the Lord? Am I giving to him out of what he's given to me, trusting that he will take care of me here on earth? Are we like the Macedonians or are we like the Israelites? That we're robbing God. We're not doing what God's required of us. And I'm not even talking about financial wealth anymore. I mean, anything with the talents the Lord's given you uh, in fighting sin and putting on holiness, anything. Are you robbing God because you're half-heartedly following Him? You're giving Him a little bit, but you're not giving Him everything in your life because you don't trust Him. You're afraid if you give Him everything that He won't take care of you here. And He's just like, just test me. Try me. Do exactly what I say and see if I take care of you. That's what He's saying. And so then apply that to your wealth. Apply that to your finances. Test the Lord and see if you trust Him and you give with a cheerful heart, you give out of the, the, the blessing the Lord has given to you, and you're striving to be generous, you're striving to be uh, hospitable, you're striving to bless others, and you're striving to give to him because you're thankful for what he gives you, try that and just see if he takes care of you. I think that's what Malachi that's what He's saying in Malachi to the Israelites. Just trust me and do what I say. I will take care of you. That's the end of the notes on the back. Basically, just, uh, it's just saying these are some things you need to be talking about in your family. There are many people in their families. Some people have secret credit cards that they don't tell their spouse about or bank accounts that their spouse is not allowed to to see or to know about or or investments that you're not talking through because you're trying to make money on the side to cover up something. Don't do that stuff. Basically, the point of number four is talk about everything. It goes back to communication principles, conflict resolution principles, biblical decision-making. Apply that to your money. Be open in your communication about everything. And make sure you're talking through all this stuff, budgeting, paying the bills, debt, giving, investing, all those things, anything you buy, whether to use credit cards or how to use credit cards, uh, whether you're going to eat out, uh, what you have saved, if you're going to rent your home or buy a home, whatever. So, And then at the very bottom are resources. Jim Rickert um, is, uh, I think he's an elder at Grace. I'm not sure. I know he goes to Grace Community Church. They brought him in when we were at seminary to talk to all of us as, as seminary, seminarians about just financial stewardship as pastors. Uh, but he's got some great stuff if you go look at uh, his resources. He has a ministry called uh, Stewardship Services Foundation. Crown Financial Ministries is, again, one that me and my wife uh, used and were part of that was a blessing in our life. But, again, I mean, if you just don't know, just go go look it up and uh, strive to, to glorify the Lord and what he's given you. And then you have an abundance of men and women around you that can be helpful resources as well. Let me pray for you.